Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, Conversations on uh, New Jersey Education. Uh, and this is a special school law uh, today issue, and we'll be talking about some legal issues uh, with the bullying in our schools, the anti-bullying legislation. With me uh, will be uh, Joseph Roselli, a partner with the firm of uh, Skank Price, Smith & King. Welcome, Joseph. Thanks, Ray. Good to be here, as always. Okay. Uh, just tell us a little bit about your uh, uh, firm and how long you've been sure. with them. So I've been with Skank Price for uh, go over eight years now, um, and we're located in Florham Park, and we do a lot of different things, different departments, uh, all different you know legal areas, but I concentrate, obviously, on school law. Uh, with uh, the school law department, there's about 12 of us who do school law in the firm. Uh, representing boards in you know all aspects of uh, any legal issues that come up, any any representation that they need, uh, from special ed to labor to negotiations to uh, student issues, everything. Uh, so we've been you know we're pretty specialized in that. Before I get into the issue, just if anyone wants to participate, uh, they can call one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four one three four seven. Nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and then you press one, and that will let Mike, who is our monitoring our switchboard, uh, know that you have a question, and he will uh, get your uh, district or your community name and all your question, so that I can then bring you up. Uh, we also, if you want, you can log on, log in to our chat room. Uh, with that, you will have to. Uh, Register with Bog Talk Radio. Uh, there is no fee for that, and we'll be monitoring our chat room, and we'll pass those uh, questions on to uh, our guest today. Um, it's been several years uh, since the New Jersey uh, established the anti-bullying law in New Jersey, HIB, um, and so we're just taking another look at it, see where we are with it, uh, and we'll be discussing the the framework for that. We'll also be discussing uh, some of the there's been some recent changes to the amendments to the code, so we'll get to that too with Joe. Um, but Joe, let's first uh, let's start with the framework. Um, New Jersey's anti-bullying laws, at the time, I, I think it still is, is one of the was yeah. advertised as one of the toughest in the in the nation. Uh, what makes it so tough if if it still is the toughest in, in the nation? As far as I know, Ray, it still is the toughest in the nation, and even. When it was put into place, you know, about five years ago now, it was, uh, I, I'd say, revolutionary. I mean, if you read the actual law, um, and if anybody is interested, I know we talk a lot about HIV all the time in districts, but sometimes people get a little tired of it, but it's really, you know, good to actually read the law. It's uh, located at 18A, you know, NJSA 18A colon 37-13, uh, and then it goes on from there. And if you actually read the law, it is a zero-tolerance approach to HIV. It's uh, HIV being harassment, intimidation, and bullying. Um, there's a, it's, you know, it sets out specific definition for what HIV is, which we'll talk about, obviously, and how to respond to that, how to investigate it, and you know, all the way up through an appeal process. So there's not very many states that actually have an HIV law like this, uh, where it sets out definitions and requires districts to do something uh, when there's a complaint on, uh, for HIV from a parent or a student. And it definitely has very uh, strict procedures that districts have to follow, and we'll talk about that as we go along. So it, um, 
it's not nothing can be I guess pushed under the rug. Um, once something occurs, there are strict things that districts will have to do, steps they have to take. Is that correct? Right. That is correct. You know, there's time strict timelines uh, for when to investigate a case and when it has to be initiated by within one day, literally, of the uh, complaint. And that you know it has to be completed within 10 days, and how the investigation should go, and what rights parents have, all of these things are laid out in the law. So it, it it is very strict as to what we have to do as a school district when a complaint for HIV comes in. All right. Before I say uh, what what is the definition of HIV, you know, you and I are in education. We talk in acronyms. Uh, for someone who may be new. Uh, to the board or new as a parent, what, what, what does HIV stand for? So like, like I said, it stands for harassment, intimidation, or bullying, which is the HIV in the definition. Um, and if you look at the law, right, it literally defines what HIV should be, and it has almost a step-by-step -step system about how to figure that out. But if you kind of step back a little bit, you can really do a who, what, when, where, why type of analysis. Uh, when you go down it. So when you look at the definition for HIV in that law, you start with what? So it says that HIV means any gesture, written, verbal, or physical act, or an electronic communication. So they specifically put electronic communication in there to account for, I guess, today's times, especially with, you know, students. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you say, how often does that happen? So it could be by one incident or a series of incidents. And then it needs to be reasonably motivated by what? by a perceived or actual characteristic, a distinguishing characteristic, we call it. Um, mm -hmm. And then the law sets out a whole bunch of these characteristics. So it says, you know, race, color, religion, uh, ancestry, and national origin, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity and expression, or a student's disability. And then, of course, it has the catch-all that says, or any other distinguishing characteristic. Uh, so once you have that, then you move on to the where and when does this take place. So it needs to either take place on school property, at a school-sponsored function, on a bus, a school bus, or off school grounds. So essentially anywhere uh, this could happen. And then once you meet those standards, so as long as you have one of some of those things in place, it has to meet one of four additional criteria. And those four criteria are slightly different so that if it doesn't meet one, you move on to the next one or the next one to see if it would meet that definition. And those criteria are either, first, an act that a reasonable person should know under the circumstances will have the effect of physically or emotionally harming a student or damaging the student's property or placing that student in fear of harm, or that has the effect of insulting or demeaning the student so that it causes a disruption in the orderly operation of the school, or something that creates a hostile educational environment at school for the student, or, if it doesn't have any of those, something that infringes on the rights of the student by interfering with the student's education. Uh, so you have to meet that definition before you actually have an HIV. And um, I know that's very – it looks very clear on paper, um, <laughs> but from my um, experience dealing, talking with school districts and sometimes parents, um, I think the first question they always have to say is, is it really bullying or is it uh, just bad conduct? Uh, so from your perspective, what's the, the difference? Because it used to be, um, and uh, you said it earlier, you said that it, uh, it could be a single episode, whereas going back 
years, it would had to be a reoccurring. So, uh, what, uh, in your mind, what is the one thing that really, if you had to ask people, uh, if you uh, advising the district, that makes it bullying as opposed to poor conduct? Is it the distinguishing characteristics? Um, I mean, it is the distinguishing characteristics. I mean, what strikes me as the bullying law when we talk about it is that it's not really just a bullying law. It's really an anti-bias or anti-discrimination law against students. And when you take that definition of, you know, was this student discriminated against, if you will, by another student or, or even an adult, um, what, you know, what the, what's the difference between a peer conflict where kids just uh, are either saying stupid things or just, you know, spontaneous uh, issues or just like a fight in the hallway versus bullying. And what you find is that when you look at bullying, there's really an imbalance of power uh, there. And when that imbalance of power is present with those distinguishing characteristics, that's when you get the HIV. That's pretty much what we've seen. So you have to, it's that distinguishing characteristic that's really the hardest part. Right. And that, for our listeners, we're going to hold on to the imbalance of power because I want to get to that a little bit later on. Um, let's talk about the distinguishing characteristics because uh, through some of the court rulings that I have seen, uh, there are things that wouldn't jump to you, the average person's mind as being a distinguishing characteristic. Uh, can you give us a few examples that might surprise those people? Oh, sure. I mean, there's there's tons of them because, you know, when a parent – appeals the HIV or appeals the fact that their student was either found to be bullied or not, they go to the, they go to court, they go to the, an administrative law judge who would then make a determination. You look at all the facts, and some of the things that administrative law judges have found to be distinguishing characteristics are almost, I, I don't want to say, they're not funny, but they, they're kind of surprising, such as um, a case from 2016 in Montgomery where they said eating habits, including being a vegetarian, could be a distinguishing characteristic. Uh, another one that I that was interesting to me was that a student was told that he was not good in basketball, and the court there, the judge found that uh, a student's sports proficiency could be one of those other categories in a distinguishing characteristic. Uh, I mean, there's so many different things. Students who have dyed their hair, uh, a student that has a med, you know medical condition like lice. Uh, even a boy who was told at the prom as a joke that he danced like a girl, that was you know found to be a distinguishing characteristic based on gender roles. So there's there's quite a few of these that can go on and on. Um, yeah, yeah. One of the ones, guess, yeah, uh, one of the ones that I was going to say one of the ones I thought was interesting was a student who was called fat, but she wasn't fat. So you couldn't say that it was because she was fat, but it was based on her own body image when she got that. So. That's where these other characteristics come into play. These things where you wouldn't even under, you know, think, uh, especially ten, twenty years ago, that they they were bullying. Uh, so I guess a distinguishing character is anything that will, and you know, kids can pick on almost anything. So anything that makes you stand out, whether it's real or not, uh, at least perceived right. by someone else, and perceived that that's why they're being picked on by the target. Right. I mean, I think it's whether it's it's when the victim perceives that they're being singled out. If you know, um, a lot of questions I get are, how do you know it's a distinguishing characteristic? Well, the way I look at it is, if you know the student that they're talking about, if there's only one student who's being made fun of for having a blue shirt on that day, and you know that's the student that has a blue shirt on, 
then that could be a distinguishing characteristic because they're being singled out. Now, if 30 kids had a blue shirt on and you didn't really know which one they're making fun of, that's a different issue. So it's that okay, singled out, move. you know. Right. And uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, that this, as to who's uh, being the targets, and I, I've seen some statistics. Uh, and uh, what category is the uh, pupils uh, were the most and the distinguishing characteristic was it race, religion, uh, gender, sexual orientation? So we have statistics from it's actually from February 2016 to February 2017, so like a 12 month period there. And when we analyze those, you you find that the distinguishing characteristics that come out the most are you know race, uh, which was 17% of the uh, allegations. Uh, sexual orientation and gender were 13 and 12 percent, and then when when you look at the other distinguishing characteristics, it was 55 percent of the complaints. So even though the law actually lists out certain characteristics, that's you know race, color, national origin, religion, all those things, it's the the bullying that we that we are finding when we analyze these complaints are it's not actually mostly those things. It's really the other distinguishing characteristics where you it's really hard to determine whether or not it falls under that. Yes, and uh, how mu- uh, what type of incidents are uh, occur the most? Is it uh, physical bullying? Is it uh, just people, kids talking? Is it electronic? Uh, which ones occur the most? Okay, so if we look at those numbers for that year, there are about 17,000 complaints or investigations, and 6,200 of those were affirmed approximately. Now, you know, when you look at the definition of HIV, it could be act of uh, gesture, written act, verbal act. The most that we have found in those numbers, 80% of these were verbal altercations where a kid or uh, or an adult sometimes has made fun of a student verbally. Um, and then mm-hmm. the next one under that, interesting, was electronic communications, so texts and emails and Snapchat and all those things. That was 18%, but verbal were by far the most. Wow. Physical was right there as well, you know, under electronic. Um, interestingly to me, written, I guess, you know, when you're talking about literally written on a page, it was only 6%, and gestures were only 12%. 80% were verbal, hmm. which is huge. Okay, before I ask you the next question, if anyone has a question, they can dial 1-347-989-8904 or... Uh, write a little question in, in the, the chat room, and uh, Michael, who's manning the chat room, will pass it on to us. Um, we're talking with Joe Roselli from uh, the law firm of Skank, Price, Smith, and King. Um, you know, before you mention it, and uh, if you would have asked me to say 10 years ago about what was bullying, uh, the imbalance of power was like, was maybe the most distinguishing characteristic of a uh, uh, bullying. Um, there's been some amendments to the code, and one of them has to deal with that, the imbalance of power. Mm-hmm. How is that integrated now uh, into the uh, into this uh, legislation? Or the so, code, I should say. It's not really. Right. It's, it's actually in the code, in the administrative code at 6A16-7.7, if anybody, for, for whatever reason, wants to go and read it. Um, but what the code used the definition was in the law of HIV and it didn't have any 
real connection to bullying. It was really more of an anti-discrimination statute. So when the code revisions came out this summer, they actually included a requirement that boards have to change their policy to uh, modify the definition of HIV in the policy to say that bullying actually is unwanted aggressive behavior that could involve uh, a real or perceived power imbalance. So that the power imbalance that we all think of when we think of bullying, you know, going back 20 or 10 years ago, was now incorporated into the definition so that when we look at what an HIV is, we have to see if there's that power imbalance in there. So that was okay. one of the new so, changes uh, that just came out this summer. And so that that imbalance, uh, what's an imbalance of power? Is it that makes someone bigger, uh, someone's much older, or... Or uh, well, obviously, yeah, uh, I mean, they might say it could be a distinguishing characteristic that they're a majority and someone's a minority and something. Right. So when you look, you're right. It could be any of those. So when you when you think of an imbalance of power, yes, yeah, somebody who's bigger, you know, uh, intimidating somebody who's smaller. Um, but also when you look at the distinguishing characteristics, there's a school of thought from uh, a lot of different organizations, even the American Bar Association and the uh, the Pediatric Association doctors. Uh, that say that when you're a member of one of those distinguishing characteristics, one of those classes, and you're being made fun of because of that, there is an imbalance of power there. So it really was part of the definition, but it just wasn't explicitly set out, and now it is. Okay, and some of the other chain, amendment changes. Um, say um, uh, there's an incident, uh, and your anti-bullying specialist uh, determines that it's not bullying and they're not going to do an investigation. I, I believe the parents have an option if they disagree. The right. parent, so obviously, of the person being bullied. Right. The parent of the of the complainant does have an option right. if they disagree. The the new change in this in this code section. Uh, previously, if somebody, we always used to say, "Oh, somebody says the word bullying, you have to do an investigation." You know, there's nothing in the law that says you can't do the investigation here or you shouldn't, even though. The principal or the ABS, the anti-bullying specialist, might have just known that it really wasn't HIV. It might be something else, but not HIV. So the new code revision says that if a board wants to, they don't have to, but if they want to, they can modify their policy to include a process before the investigation takes place where the principal consults with the anti-bullying specialist, and then they make a determination whether it should even be investigated as an HIV. Uh, and then if they don't investigate it under that, the policy revision would then allow the parent uh, an appeal process. So if the complaint wasn't investigated because the principal said, well, in this case, it's not, it doesn't rise to the level of HIV because it doesn't maybe have a distinguishing characteristic. The parent can appeal to the board uh, to have it investigated. And if the board says, no, we're going to support the principal here, uh, the parent can then appeal that to the commissioner of education. So it just uh, uh, it allows the board not to, or the district not to have the opportunity to settle the case maybe earlier and say this is not a bullying incident, it's a not good conduct, but it's not bullying, and they can settle it then and there. Um, and, right. And one question as we go through on this: if um, if a parent appeals something, in, in some bullying incidents, you may have a repercussion that's fairly quick. Maybe it's a suspension or something uh, the next day. Um, what reperco repercussion do the parents have to say, no, that's not, I want to appeal this, um, but 
the punishment has already been dispensed. How do you deal with that? Well, if punishment has that's that's typical. I mean, obviously you want to let's say you have to suspend a student. The the, the administration would suspend them right away because you if they there's a reason to suspend them, you don't want them in school. So the parent could appeal that discipline again to the commissioner, you know, and it would go to an ALJ, probably first to the board under board policy and then to uh, the Commissioner of Education, who would send it to the administrative law judge to say yes or no, this discipline was improper and should not have been imposed, and then it would be removed from the student's record. There's no way to go back and not have them serve the suspension uh, or, dis- or de- you know, uh, detention or whatever it is, but the parent would have the ability to appeal and then try to get it off their kid's record. Uh, and one of the other changes uh, I wanted to touch on um, is uh, – Districts have students who are not in their buildings. Uh, they have uh, out-of-district uh, placements, PSSD. Uh, what are the changes there? So previously there was a lot of uh, confusion about what to do for students who have been sent out of district, you know, pursuant to an IEP or uh, for whatever other reason, into an approved uh, private school with stu- for students with disabilities, a PSSD. Uh, and now the policy that boards have, the revision that they have to uh, do, is to have a process by which the district board of ed, the local board of ed, would have to investigate complaints uh, or reports of HIV from those students or parents of those students. If the act occurred on a district bus at a district sporting event or school-sponsored function or somewhere off school grounds, uh, generally you could have said, well, you're not, you know, you don't go to our school, you're not our student, we're we're going to either not do anything or pass this on to the administration at the private school you attend, but now we have to get involved, uh, and by we, I mean the local board of ed and their anti-bullying specialist, has to get involved and uh, either conduct the investigation to their best of their abilities, you know, um, or work in consultation with the uh, PSSD, the school bullying uh, task force there. Oh, okay. Uh, so a new uh, new requirement so there. The, so you you would have to build it if you wanted to, I guess. I guess uh, I don't know how often this it's new, so I'm not sure how often it it has occurred if it has occurred. So the district would have to go to that private school and say, and they have the right to question the students and those involved. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not often that that's going to happen because again these instances have to take place on a district board of ed bus uh, at a school-sponsored function or off-school grounds. But if, let's say, there was a district bus that was transporting the student to the PSSD with other students who were at that school and something happened on our bus, we would then have to go and interview those kids, even though they attend the PSSD. So we'd have to, you know, make appointments or whatever whatever you would do to go to that school and talk to these students and say what happened and, and get the statements and all of that, where Previously, that requirement wasn't really in the law or the policy. Can they uh, – maybe they feel uncomfortable that they don't know the students. Can they still leave it up to and say – have an agreement with the PSSD and say, could you do the report and and work collaboratively with them on that? So all the change says is that the investigation – conducted by the board's anti-bullying specialist shall be in consultation with the private school for students with disability. So I would say, yes, you probably could ask them to get the statements from the students instead of, you know, let's say the school happens to be in another county or even another state sometimes instead of sending our person out there. But 
there should be a specific process in the policy or at least in some administrative directive about how you would do this, uh, just so that we follow, have something to follow. Okay. Um, I, I just want to touch on a few other subjects. Uh, one of them is uh, there are provisions in the law for if a teacher is perceived to be is bullies the student. Uh, uh, how does that work? So many people don't realize this, but since it's an anti-discrimination law, really, for students, uh, anybody can discriminate against students. So the law does not say that only students can be accused of bullying. It just says individuals accused of bullying. So teachers, staff members, uh, anybody in the school community can be accused of committing an HIV by a student. They can't be bullied if you're an adult, but you can be accused of it. And one of the changes in the law uh, now, in, not in the law, in the uh, administrative code, says that if an adult is accused of HIV, an adult being a teacher or a staff member, uh, there still has to be an investigation done, but now it cannot be done by a member of the same bargaining unit as the individual who was the subject of the complaint. Because a lot of times the anti-bullying specialist is also a teaching staff member or a member of the bargaining unit, and in most cases it's going to be a teacher accused of bullying because they're always with the kids, you know, sitting in the classroom with them, who knows what's going on. Um, and the law says that only the ABS can do the investigation. So now it says that they can't, it can't be done by a member of the same bargaining unit. You'd have to, I, 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 for lack of a better term, I'll say outsource it to somebody else, either in the district, an administrator or something, or uh, go outside for another investigator to come in and do it. All right. Um, and even though the law has electronic bullying in it, uh, I think probably one of the areas that is growing uh, is cyberbullying. And uh, now cyberbullying, I would imagine, most of the time also occurs not in the school. It could be it, it can be any at any time. But what is cyberbullying, and where where's the line for districts to uh, uh, discipline student other students in that? Right. Cyber. I mean, cyberbullying is just what it sounds like. It's bullying that occurs electronically via, you know, any electronic communication method, email, text messages, websites, although now it's almost always going to be on a phone, uh, Snapchat, Facebook, that kind of thing. Uh, and the law does say that HIV could be something that's an electronic communication. So it does have that little bit in the law to say this could be an HIV uh, which is interesting and important because when a parent comes to it, uh, the school the principal and says, my kid's being bullied and they show you the phone, you know, now we have to investigate it as an HIV. Um, mm -hmm. but the only problem with that is that cyberbullying often occurs off campus. And even though the law says bullying could be off campus, um, it's hard to discipline for students, discipline students that for something that occurs completely off campus. Um, I mean, you can do the investigation, you can find that it's HIV or not, uh, but to impose discipline on a student, you have to have a nexus to the school. There has to be uh, some connection to whatever happened outside of school to the school and something that substantially interferes with the requirements of the discipline in the school, the orderly operation of the school, those types of things, uh, before you can actually impose discipline for something that occurred, you know, maybe it happened in the summer kids had nothing to do with school, and then later on the parent complained to the principal that their kid was bullied over the summer. That may be, uh, but how can we respond to that? We have to prove that there's a nexus to the school, that there's that connection there. Then you can discipline any way you want. So that connection, 
say someone has a a phobia about going to school or the, you know they don't want to go to first period class because the first period class is where the bully is the cyberbullying from the summer. Would that be a nexus? Uh, yeah, I would say that's the nexus. That, um, I mean, it could it could just be something where you know you're in homeroom uh, and all the kids are talking about this and no one's listening to the teacher. It's just something that interferes with the operation of the school. Then you would have that nexus there. Or if the student is just too scared to sit next to the bullier or the accused pupil, uh, or you know they're keeping it going or just talking about it in the school with their friends, something like that, where it just substantially disrupts the operation of the school, then you would have that connection. But you have to show that's there before you impose that discipline. Um, we're getting towards the end of our time. What are some recommendations because uh, that districts might want to follow from your perspective, uh, maybe in the training, uh, maybe we documentation, procedures? What are some things that uh, districts should be uh, looking at? Well, first, hopefully, every district is either finished or in the process of updating their HIV policy for this year because to include those new requirements, um, which is obviously the first thing we have to do because it's required in the code. Uh, and then, there, you know, there are some other things we can do. If a district wants to include that line about the principal's discretion, there should be some sort of checkoff sheet uh, that the principal signs or, or fills out that says they did look at look at the case and they've made that determination be, that it wouldn't meet the standards uh, for an investigation and maybe just have a checkoff box that says here's why, you know, it doesn't have a distinguishing characteristic or something, just so we have it on record that we are doing at least that we're what we're supposed to do. Um, a lot of things I do recommend is training, obviously, for the staff members uh, about how to spot HIV and how to uh, respond to it. Uh, but another th another thing that I that I really like is parent training because this really comes down to usually it's a parent that's reporting something against their student and they say, well, it's bullying, it's bullying, but it might not be. Uh, but there's no way parents would really know that unless you have maybe like a parent night or a document on your website that kind of sets it out in plain English as to what's HIV and what's code of conduct so that the principal can then have that conversation with the parent and say, well, it doesn't really meet the HIV standards, but I'm going to still investigate it as a code of conduct and we'll do something, but it's not bullying. Um, so I do think I, th I think a parent you know, education night or a parent education document is really helpful as well, along with training, as yeah. always. I'm always going to say I training. would agree on, on that because a lot of parents, say, they said it's not bullying, but that doesn't mean it's good behavior or appropriate exactly. behavior. Uh, uh, so, and they sometimes think if you say it's not bullying, that you're saying nothing happens. So uh, I know it's hard for Districts always get a lot of the parents to come in on those type of events, but um, that's a good recommendation. Anything else that you, uh, from your perspective that maybe I we didn't cover? No, I think I think we covered it. I think that you know it's just really it's still interesting to me even five years later about how we we just don't really know exactly what bullying is. It's a case by case basis, and I think it's just more people looking at the law and learning about it to uh, really decide what that bullying would be. So it's just ongoing and I, I it's interesting. Yeah, and, and I think it also I'm not sure if it happens, but you know, we're going from like kindergarten first grade up to 12th graders. So there's so many different things that can occur in all those grades. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so I mean, it's 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 different for each school and each kid or, you know, or it could 
go all the way from kindergarten to uh, to twelfth grade, even with the same kids. So it's just you know it's all different. You have to just watch out for it as you go. Okay, I like to thank uh, thank you, Joe, for joining me, uh, and I Thanks hope the me. the listeners got a lot of uh, inf- information in our little over thirty minutes of discussion on uh, HIV. Uh, so thank you, Joe. Good to be here. Okay, and thank all of you for listening, uh, and have a good afternoon. Bye now.